You are listening to the Living Truth Podcast with John Corr and C.L. Mitchell. Please stay tuned to Living Truth as we engage in an in-depth journey of discovery through the discussion of God's Word for the purpose of devotion and godly living. We pray that you would be blessed through today's conversation and that God would sanctify your heart in truth, for His Word is truth. This is Living Truth, and uh, we are glad to be here today, Friday afternoon. It feels like it's the middle of spring here in Phoenix, and it's beautiful weather outside, and we're excited to be here, to be here with you, my friend. It's good to be here with you, as always, and uh, it's good to have this opportunity to share with our listeners once again. Yes. Have some uh, important information for our listeners to begin with. First of all, Uh, It's very important that we're able to connect with you and able to um, know that above our connection with you, that there is an interconnectedness that is occurring betwixt the believer in Christ via his spirit in the application of uh, and through the articulation of his word. And so we're praying that that's occurring. Uh, We would love for you to come to uh, the Living Truth broadcast uh, Facebook page and like that page and leave messages. We'd love to engage with you um, on a personal level. What's more, we have exciting news for those of you that are in North Phoenix, um, located near the 101 and Tatum. Uh, My very good friend, John Corr, uh, is going to begin a very in-depth Bible class uh, every first and third Thursday of the month, beginning in the month of March, starting from 7 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. Uh, Again, that's uh, in the general vicinity of the 101 and Tatum. And of course, the means by which you can uh, uh, get that address is to contact us on our Facebook page, and uh, John will be happy to message you with the specific address for the Bible class that he's going to be teaching the first and third Thursdays uh, of every month beginning in the month of March. And I must say, I am overwhelmingly excited about that. Well, I'm excited too, but, but if you show up, I might have you teach. Oh, no. No, that, you know it's kind of like you know your your Yoda and and <laughs> the Jedi Master comes and you have to let the Jedi Master teach, but <laughs> not I'm, so. I'm excited to about it too. I'm nervous about it, but you know the Lord, you know He's directing it, and we are excited about what will take place in it. And uh, you just never know how God will direct and and bless it and and the people that He'll bring. So and just like the the people are listening here right now. To this broadcast, we are excited to have you here as well, uh, listening to uh, our conversation uh, about scriptures. We uh, love to get together and talk uh, about the Bible, and we have been talking about uh, the Book of Ruth. We've been talking about uh, these characters uh, in the story, and what's interesting is, <clears throat> oftentimes you can read the scripture and read it and know it and know what it says, but there's still things that God wants to show. There's things that are that are in his word that there may be scriptures that you are so familiar with that God has truths that he wants to bless you with and communicate his grace through that uh, oftentimes the familiarity of the scripture often uh, is a hindrance to receiving 
Uh, and so that actually happened to me this week as I was <clears throat> looking at uh, the chapter we're in, in Ruth chapter two. And I got frustrated because I'm like, well, I, I know what it says, God. <laughs> I know what, I've read this, I've listened to it, I've studied it. But the Lord still had things to show me as well. And oftentimes when you come to scripture, coming with a humble and teachable spirit and heart is the most important thing. When you say, Lord, I'm not seeing things, or Lord, I, I really want to hear from you. Mm. He has a way through his spirit of showing you things you didn't see before. Might I just mention that in theological speak, we refer to that not as revelation. Revelation is the existing inspired infallible text of scripture from Genesis to Revelation. It is a particular area of special revelation. We have general revelation in creation, um, general revelation articulated through conscience, both of those articulated in uh, Romans 1, but we also have special revelation, Hebrews chapter number 1, in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the utopia of special revelation. Right. And then we have that articulated in special revelation in the Word of God. But when God sheds light on existing scripture, that is illumination, and right. I'm excited about that because uh, we're going to be which, the benefactors of that today. Which is why the light bulb above your head is the illumination. That's right. Type of idea and uh, and understanding, and it you know it goes to the fact that you know we are dependent upon the Holy Spirit mm. to really teach us. That's why Jesus says he will. He's not. He'll be a helper, but he'll be your teacher as well. That's right. And he's the one. He's the author of the text. And we can, as, as students of the Word of God, we go and we study and we look at the commentaries and we see what scholars are thinking because we try to exhaust what the human author may have been saying. But there's a point where the divine author has to step in and give us understanding, illumination of certain things and truths that are there. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about so it. So we are in Ruth chapter 2, and we want to... Um, sort of glean from the text. Indeed. Uh, and, uh, the last time we left off in the area of her <clears throat> query, her question, why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? That's where we left off. Well, that's where we left off, but let's just consider the t- context of that chapter. First of all, what is Ruth doing? She is, she is in the field of Boaz, right? She goes to her mother-in-law and says, um, I want to go and glean. Let me go glean. Sure. Uh, but she says something very important at the very beginning of the chapter, which I think we have to point out, is that she says, let me go glean, and um, please let me go uh, and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose sight I might find favor. Okay, so you have two things going on. We have one, she wants to go glean, and secondly, she's hoping to find a place where the person who owns the field is gracious. Okay. Well, it turns out she does. She goes to the fields of, of Boaz and does glean. Boaz uh, extends a tremendous kindness to her. He notices her. We talked about this last, last week, um, where he knows about her. He finds out this is that young lady who came back with Naomi, and he decides to uh, protect her. He decides to extend um, extra uh, help or favor towards, and... Um, uh, let me just read read the text here. It says that um, 
In verse 8, Then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen carefully, my daughter, do not go and glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from the one from this one, but stay here with my maids. We talked about this last week. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go in after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from where the servants draw. And then here's the verse you just pointed out. Then she fell on her face, bowing down to the ground, and said, Why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Okay, so there's a second time that word favor is noticed. Okay. Um, And then she said, then in verse 11, this is where we're continuing. Boaz says, All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me and how you left your father and mother and the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. There's verse 13. Then she said, I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. So it's three times in this chapter so far, she's, there's that word favor, which the Hebrew word is hain, or you probably can pronounce it better than I can. Hain. <laughs> <laughs> But that's not the really that's not the only point in this chapter. She is finding favor. She wanted to find favor. She 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 is finding favor, and she has found favor in his in his sight. But it doesn't stop there. Let's go on to the verse fourteen. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, "Come here that you may eat of the bread and dip your your piece of bread in the vinegar." So she sat beside the reapers, and he served her roasted grain, and she ate and was satisfied, and had some left. And when she rose to glean, Boaz commanded his servant, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not insult her. And also you shall purposely pull out some of the grain from the bundles, and leave it so that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. So And so she gleaned in the field until evening, then she beat out what was which she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And then she took it up and went to the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also took out and gave Naomi what she had after she was satisfied. So she comes back uh, with a, a full amount of grain after she's satisfied and brings it to her mother-in-law. Keep going, verse 19. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today and where did you work? May he who took notice of you be blessed. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had said or worked and said, The name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her mother-in-law, May he be blessed of the Lord who is not withdrawing his kindness to, uh, to the living and to the, and to the dead. Again, Naomi said to her, The man is our close relative. He is one of our closest relatives. Let's keep reading. Then Ruth the Moabite said, Furthermore, he said to me, You shall stay close to my servants until they have finished all my harvest. So she's not there just for that one day. She's going to go back until the end of the harvest, okay? So there's a continuing visitation of the fields there. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you, didn't, that you go out with his maids, lest others fall upon you in another field. So she stayed close by the maids of Boaz in order to glean in, until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law there. And that's the end of chapter 2. Now, I pointed out, a few months ago, that this word hain for grace or favor is used three times in the chapter. Yes. Okay. There's a different word. There's a combination of two other words that's used even more in this chapter. The word for the word glean 
is used 12 times in this chapter. 12 times, yes. The, the, the word for reap or, or harvester, reapers, is used seven times. And the word for gather is once. So you have 20 times from the beginning of the chapter to the very last verse of the chapter, the idea of gleaning or gathering is used. That's a very significant point because none of this happens, no, nothing happens in this chapter or the significance of this chapter happens because of what she's doing and where she's at. In other words, her, the blessing she finds only happens because she's in the field of Boaz, because it's Boaz blessing her with this, and she has enough to go home with to, to bring home to, to mother-in-law, Naomi. The favor of the Lord, of course, is, is through that process of gleaning and to the person through whom he's, you know, the field who she's gleaning from. It's, it, when I was looking at the chapter, I didn't notice that before, but I'm like, gee whiz, she's, this is what's going on in this chapter is the idea of, of the blessings of gathering and gleaning in the field of Boaz in this case. But of course, you can carry on to, to higher principles of, of scripture, of gleaning from God, of gleaning the blessings that God has in life, of gleaning and gathering the things that, that he wants us to, to gather. But it, it's significant that this chapter has that, of, of any other chapter in scripture, uh, Ruth chapter 2 is probably the most significant, other than maybe Deuteronomy or Leviticus with this term. So it kind of hit me, and we can talk about that today. Uh, I, think, I think that's very insightful, John. Because um, I have like 10 points to make. No, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's very insightful, frankly. Um, let's first of all talk about this term glean um, as a literary device, right? Anytime you have repetitive terms or terms that are repeated within Scripture, as a literary device, they are for the purpose of emphasis, Right. The author is trying to emphasize the focal point of that part of the act or that part of the story or that part of the narrative, as it were. Right. Now, this is really playing off of a concept in chapter number one, again, because whereas in chapter number one, you have two women who are very disadvantaged and are coming from one geographical locale to another, as a result of the Hebrew pakad, the visitation, as it were, of God in Bethlehem, right. Lehem, the house of bread, uh, they are coming to this particular locale. They are coming sociologically disadvantaged. The question within the framework of the text is, from a providential scale, will they remain disadvantaged? And the answer to that, no sooner than you move into um, uh, chapter number two, the answer to that by the narrator is the repetition of this term, uh, the repetition of this term um, uh, to glean. In other words, they're going to pick up something. They're going to be able to gather something. And they're going to gather that as a result of chen, as a result of providential favor. Right. Now, I think we well, need well, to... Yes. Well, well let's interject here because that's... Well, it's easy to read over the story and say, okay, this is Ruth and Boaz. They're, you know, she's in his field gathering some harvest, you know, and... But there's significance here because of the fact you have the favor of God in control of not only her story, but our story. Indeed. Okay. You know, it's, it's, it's as, as Paul writes about, um, do not muzzle the ox. That treads out the, 
the wheat. That treads out the is, wheat. Is and better. Paul says, is Paul is God interested in oxen? No. He's, he uses that to, to establish another point about uh, paying your pastors and things like that. You know, there's, there's, there's spiritual significance to what's going on here. God directs Boaz, or Ruth rather, to Boaz's field to glean, to gather. And we say, well, that's great. That was done several thousand years ago. So what? What do you do with that? What do you do with that? Well, if God was in control of Ruth's life to, to direct her of where to find a harvest, a blessing, fruit, how much more is God in control of our lives as well? He's not only in control of the, the lives of the Bible characters, he's in control of our lives as well. And it's interesting that, that she goes not knowing whose field she's going to, and when she gets there, she happens to go to the right field. She directs, uh, he's, he, God directs her to the right field where obviously the harvest is tremendous because, because he's able to be a blessing, not only to his own workers, but to the others who are coming as well, including Ruth herself. And she comes back over and over again until the end of the, the barley and the wheat harvest. So obviously his field has been pretty blessed. And he's the kind of man that will say, don't go anywhere else because... There's more to come here. There's now. Let's I don't know. Dive into that. I guess you can say and 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 well, I think glean on, on a cultural <laughs> basis and on an ancient Near Eastern historical basis. I think it's important to note that communal blessing doesn't ensure individual blessing. Albeit, there may be aspects that trickle down to the individual to a degree. It, 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 there is an associate. Uh, an associative reality that has occurred here, but an associative reality that is is um, uh, providentially based. L- let me explain what I mean by that. Namely, uh, the blessing of the Lord is upon the nation, but the blessing that's upon the nation cannot be presumed to trickle down altogether upon the individual. What's more, I think the reverse is true, that communal judgment doesn't ensure individual judgment, although there might be aspects of suffering that trickle down to a degree. Mm -hmm. Those two ideas simply say this, that God can bless a nation, but his blessing upon a nation, namely contextually Israel, does not necessarily assume his blessing upon individuals because individual blessing is associated communally on one level, in other words, through the association of the community of God. But secondarily, it is contingent upon individual obedience. And so you can have a nation that is blessed communally, but you can have an individual who is disobedient and thus the blessing of the Lord may be around them, about them, but it will not be realized within them or upon them because it is not just presumed or assumed automatically. To reverse that, conversely, you may have a nation that is under the judgment of God, but if an individual is uh, obedient to God, that does not necessarily then assume or presume that that person will experience the full extent of the judgment of God. Now, with that being said, we have to go back contextually and historically and look at what's happening in the nation. This is the book of Ruth, but this is during the time of the judges. 
and you cannot just simply read these texts individually. They are read um, um, uh, consecutively. They're read together. And so with their being read together, this nation has experienced the visitation of God, the Picard of God, <clears throat> having right. experienced the discipline of God to uh, put them in an area that was bereft of sustenance for a time. But now that the blessing has come back to the nation, the question is, uh, with Ruth and with Naomi, will this be realized on an individual scale? And what we're seeing now is the blessing that is within the framework of the nation, that is within the field of Boaz, is now being realized within the life of Ruth and Naomi as a result of what? As a result of her obedience. But the question right. is, is it because the nation is doing well? No. Is it because Boaz is altogether kind? No. It is because the individual blessing of one or the individual judgment of one is due to the providential hand of God. So if God's hand is for you, no one's hand can be against you. But if God's hand is against you, no one's hand can be for you. Right. Well, let me just, uh, I guess, interject here too as, as well that the question at that time is, okay, it is the time of the judges. It is a dark time. God has visited, has visited his people. So the question is, will, I, will the field that God directs me to be a field of blessing or not? And the, 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 the field that, yeah, and the reason why uh, 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 Ruth, who, who entrusts herself to God, is, is, is she just goes out and, and wants to gather Wherever, wherever God may lead her. She doesn't know that God's going to lead her to this particular field. And it is possible, and the question is, is it possible to find blessing or the harvest in this dark period of time? And the, or the answer is yes. There is a field of Boaz here. Now, she doesn't know. We don't know what the other fields look like or how, who, who the other people were. Obviously, Boaz says, hey, don't go to these other places for some reason, oh, by the way, um, I commanded my, my men not to touch you and nobody bother you or harass you, uh, which may assume that that could have been possible. He protects her in that. He makes sure that she's provided for and protected. She, um, as, as this text says, she just happened to come up on that field. And, and, uh, and, uh, and so God's directing that. So I guess to, to, to just sort of bring it to sort of principle truth, you know, is that sometimes there there are times when it looks like there's no answer, no way, and there's and it's dark, and it's like we don't know what to do, where God still can lead you to where you need to be for a blessing, you know? Let's take it even further then, yeah. John, because there can be times when it appears that there is nothing to glean in sight. And and from the perspective of the narrator, one perspective is is the human perspective of the narrator. Namely, this looks haphazard. This looks right. circumstantial. Right. Uh, but the theological right. point of the narrator is blessing is never haphazard. It's never circumstantial. It's never happenstantial. If an individual is blessed, it is always due to the sovereign direction of God right. amid any circumstance and amid any weather. The greatest storm cannot prohibit the gracious hand of God. So, so in this text, so let's just look into this. It's significant, it's significant that the place where she goes to, to glean is, 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 is a huge deciding factor. If she happens to go to a different, a different field, the results might be entirely different. 
but she goes to the right field. Okay, I'm being honest to her. She goes to the right field, uh, the field was. The other thing, too, is is she's a, and this can cross over to the Christian life as well, is that gleaning is the process of gathering. It's the process of gathering fruit or crops have already been grown. God doesn't call her to plant and sow and, re, or, and do all that work. She, she, he just calls those people to, to, to sort of gather what's already been grown. In other words, sometimes we think we have produced something in and of, our, of, our, of ourself, where God often just calls us to gather what's already been produced. Here's a case in point. I often don't have, in my, in my own self, I don't have patience. I'm... <laughs> I get very impatient sometimes, you know, I, I, at work, I get interrupted. And I don't like that, you know, but the patience that I need to have has to be gleaned from the Lord himself. I have to get that from some source. I cannot produce that patience in and of myself because I just don't have the, 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 you know, I just, I'm not God, but I can gather from God himself, from Jesus, the fruit of the spirit and gather and glean that, so to speak, so that that's a blessing in my life and a blessing in other lives too as well. God doesn't call us to produce certain things. Sometimes we say, I, I, I don't have the love to love a person. I can't love that person. But God can love that person and he can produce that love which he can put in your heart and you can show forth that love to another person. He calls us to be gatherers and gleaners of that which has already been produced, not producers. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. I, I think there's something interesting that plays off of the Torah with what you're saying. Yeah. Um, this concept of gleaning is a concept that that she's working with right. from a Leviticus text and from a Deuteronomistic text. Now, that's important because according to Torah proper, uh, the widow, the orphan, the poor, the underprivileged would come to a field and the corners of the field were left for their gleaning by God. Right. Secondarily, if the workers were going through the field to collect uh, uh, the stalks, as it were, whatever they dropped, they could not pick up. Right. It was left. Now, the question is, was it incidental, was it accidental, or was it the sovereign planting of God and placement by the hand of God for the people who needed that. And, right. and, and I would propose then that the reality is what she gleans is what God left. Right. What she gleans is what God placed there. Right. And, and it's not, in fact, what she's able to go and plant. Her circumstances does not allow her at this stage in her life to right. plant. But her circumstances allows her to eat what she has not planted to reap where she has not sown because of, in the text, this repetition, chain, chain, chain. It is the kindness of God, which throws a big monkey wrench in this, this prosperity concept of reaping and sowing to right. a certain degree, because there are things that God grants us by grace that are of great value that we could, again, in keeping with the overall context, chesed, that we could never earn, we could never deserve, we could never hope to repay, or any of the other things that I mentioned on last week. As such, are there times, not only in the ancient Near Eastern Old Testament text or First Testament text, but are there times in our Christian life wherein God deliberately drops things mm -hmm. that 
was beyond what we had by way of seed, that was beyond what we could have even contemplated, that's beyond what even our rationale can wrap its mind around. Don't we stress out, though, and just even as Christians, don't we stress out when we think about, like, say, the future, right? We think about, okay, what are we worry about, oftentimes we are about family and kids and, and what's going to happen in the future and things like that. And we look back, if you look back at your life right now and I you know, look back and see the blessings that, that God has given, that worrying doesn't produce anything other than just worry. You know, the blessings that are, that are in our lives are there because of God. I, I think of back when you, when you, when we were talking about uh, this uh, idea of, of, uh, of gathering, when, when God made Adam and he stuck him in that garden, Adam, Adam did, didn't have to plant one seed. The garden was already made. God made the Adam, or God, <laughs> he made the, he made Adam, he made the garden already with fruit on the trees. In other words, all he had to do is just gather, so to speak. That was his, you know, we cultivate, take care of the garden, and gather the fruit, except for the one tree, you know, he had to go out and do that. But God's blessing to Adam was so profound. He didn't say, here, here, Adam, here's a bunch of seeds and plant and good luck, you know. He had things already made for Adam to enjoy. Now, here's the other thing, though, is, and just like Adam, Ruth, can you imagine if Ruth woke up that morning and slept in and decided to, <laughs> you know, watch cartoons or something, uh, if they had cartoons? She actually had to go to the field. She actually had, had to go to to place where where those fruit would be found. She actually had to to go there. It wasn't just gonna fall from heaven. And so and so here's Ruth who's taking the initiative to go, trusting that God can provide, not knowing that God has something in store for her in these fields. She has no idea that there's a Boaz or Boaz or his field or any of this thing waiting for her. But it's significant that she she makes the step. She she walks out of the house, she gets up early in the morning, goes to the fields, decides to do her thing, and God decides to bless her in that in the midst of, of her wanting to do this. One of the reasons why she is referred to in chapter 3 as an eshet chayil, yes. as a noble woman, as it were, is because she's an industrious woman. And, and I think that's important because we've, we've made mention of this before, but your statement drives home the pointedness of it, John. Namely, the blessings of God are oft discovered by the people of God when we have our backs bent under the pressing heat of the sun. In other words, it is a find of grace, right. not in the hands or in the mind of one who is irresponsible, but in the hands of one who, during the task of responsibility, finds the grace of God. Where are pearls found? In oysters. In oysters. You have to actually go to where the oysters are and actually have to find the oyster and pry it open, and then you find the pearl. Well, unless you go to the store and buy, <laughs> buy, <laughs> buy pearls at the jewelry store, but how pearls are, that's often how it is with, with, with God's blessings, too. There's oysters that he has hidden in, in the depths of his word, and in the people that, that he, he brings to your, your path. There's, there's blessings he has that are often are to be discovered, you know, and, and I think of Ruth, and I think of you know, Ruth being a, a um, this this woman who wants to just she just wants to work hard, she just wants to provide for her her, her mother in law, 
and yet God has something in store for her that she has no idea. And she, and what's interesting is that she is surprised by it. Why have I found favor in your sight that you should be so gracious to me? I'm a foreigner, okay? Right. But that attitude of knowing who she is and her, you know, this, I'm the least person around here. I'm a former, you know, I'm, I'm a woman, I'm a foreigner, I'm a Moabite. That attitude is, I think, the kind and the, this, the, this position that she has is the kind that really God wants to honor and bless as well. Well, there's some, there's some answers within the framework of the text. Her question in 2.10, why have I found favor, is really in response to her prayer in the early yes. phase of chapter number two. Um, so uh, uh, please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose sight I may find favor. In other words, there is an industriousness. There is this anticipation of hard work that is coupled with a dependence, a strict dependence upon God who will, through someone, provide favor. So, right. so her shock right. is not only the provision of God, but the provision of God's answer to her prayer. And it's also in, in conjunction with you know, his own statement to her being, uh, in her, her, uh, his answer to her, her question, um, all that you've done for your mother-in-law has been reported to me, okay? You know, how you, how you left your family and, and came, um, uh, came here to the people you didn't know. And then he says, may the Lord reward you in your wages. Uh, he says, may the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. And that's, the, that's a very key idea because she has, in one sense, the idea of seeking refuge is seeking shelter, Okay, a, a little little bird seeking shelter beneath the wings of his mom, of seeking shelter in God, that you seek shelter that 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 life has has thrown you off course, and it has is thrown you for a loop because you know life is difficult. We just life is hard, but you seek God and you and you and you say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I don't understand what I'm going through. I don't understand why I'm going through this. It's not fair. It's hard. It really, really stinks, you know, but I'm going to trust in you. Unbeknownst to you, God honors that because he knows, he sees that you are trusting in him. You are seeking refuge and shelter underneath his wings, so to speak, your protection. And God wants to bless that. John, in order to, in order to clarify what you're saying, let's broaden the horizon here. Sure. Because what you have is, you have in verse number 11... Boaz reply, his rebuttal, his response uh, to her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me and how you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. Right. That phrase, yes. that segment is parallel to another section of scripture. Abraham. Abraham yes. in Genesis 12. In fact, the listener would be surprised to note that structurally and grammatically, yes. there is great similitude and association grammatically uh, and theologically and circumstantially uh, between these two stories and between the two individuals who are doing this. However, 
if you can believe it, there is a superiority that is found in this Moabite narrative and a rehearsal of her activity over and above even the Abrahamic narrative in Genesis 12. Right. Because, and, and I'll just turn there really quick. What's interesting is in the Genesis 12 narrative, as I'm turning there, I always get excited when I'm teaching the Bible with you. It's a wonderful thing. It just ignites <laughs> something in me. It's like the game's afoot. Uh, in, in Genesis chapter number 12, verse number one, now I am said to Avram, go forth from your country. Now, this is the term lech lechem. Uh, this term is only going to be You just used. love saying that term. <laughs> Lechlehem. <laughs> Lechlecha. Lechlecha. Uh, yes. Um, lechem would be bread. Lechlech. Yeah. Yeah. So it's go forth, go forth. right? Yes. And so uh, he says, go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house to the land which I will show you. The second aspect is, and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you, so forth, so on. In other words, if an individual were to read Genesis chapter number 12, and that attending narrative, Avram is met by God with statements, um, uh, men, from, it's a preposition, from, from your father's right. house, from your relatives, from your land, right. and then to a land that I will show you. Right. In other words, for everything that he says come from, he has a to with a blessing, a right. benefit as it were. Right. If you read this it's initiated by a statement from God. Right. Avram, I want you to come from, and I want to give you then this as the reward from right. coming from. But if you were to read the Ruth narrative, first of all, God does not initiate the conversation. No. <laughs> Secondarily, Ruth is coming from by faith, albeit Avram is coming from by faith. Right. But there is no promise. There's there no, is no, no no great name. There is no great nation. There is no to a land that I will show you. In other words, Abraham's move was initiated by an introduction from God with the promise of very extreme direct blessings. Right. Whereas there was an initiation in the heart of Ruth but there was no promise to Ruth of any kind of beneficial blessing at all. And what, Thus, her faith has a, a, a demonstration, a manifestation, if you will, that seems to be superior to that of Abram. And, and, when, and I, I, I agree with you because he is going in response to the promises promised. She is not. Nothing's been promised to her. In fact, there's no guarantee that if she goes back with her mother-in-law, there's no guarantee that she'll get married, have children, or anybody knows who she is. For all, all she's set out to do is, I'm going to love this woman, Naomi, my mother-in-law, and stick with her and be committed to her without any strings attached, without any, any uh, promises made to me. That, that, and this ties into the major theme of the book, uh, the, this idea of chesed, uh, of, of loyalty. To be loyal, to love a person without any expectation of payback. Now, that is contrary to the way we as modern people think. We want, we, we want reciprocity for everything we do. I do something for you, good for you. Hey, it's not your turn to pay it back. You know, we, we are like that. That's how we. That's that's how we are, but Ruth is very. This is how Jesus is. Jesus pays 
the penalty of the cro- of, of 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 sin on the cross for people who will never pay him back, who will never say thank you, who will never receive that. He and that's how it is the nature of God. God decides to initiate and and extend salvation and forgiveness and and atonement for, through Christ way before we even think about that. And for people who will never reciprocate at all. That's the nature of love, though, because love is, is, is such that it gives without expectation of, of any benefit in return. So in one sense, Ruth is a, is a greater example of love and, that, faith. and faith than Abraham. Now, it's just, I think it's kind of cool that, that she gets to get, you know, be included within the family there. But, you know. By the way, for individuals who are in secular scholasticism, that really does argue against, indeed bark against, the idea of a misogynistic text, an anti-feminine text. Because oh, no. this text has just looked at Ruth and given Ruth a superior place above the patriarch. Right. I mean, he was, I mean Ruth is the, the, I mean, the book is not named... Boaz, it could have been named Boaz, the book of Boaz. It's the book of Ruth, you know, Ruth and Naomi, both Naomi's going to get her, her, um, her due at the end of the story. God's going to show grace and favor, uh, favor to her. It's interesting that the, the contrast between Naomi and Ruth uh, is significant. Naomi leaves. She says, uh, she's bitter. Um, I can't, I went out full and I came back empty, right? She's bitter. She's mad at God. Ruth comes out empty, she comes from the land of Moab, empty, but she comes back full. And there's a, there's a contrast between the two. But at the end of the story, Naomi's going to get full as well, because children will be born to, through her name. John, I think this begs a question. Um, and, and I want to be very pointed with this question and specific with this, this question. Um, and I think the question is, is really an indictment, because most of our biblical teaching in modernity in the modern church today is a service to the Lord for benefit. Right. What we can get out of it. Right. Um, and, and, and I'm not now abrogating nor undermining the clear tenets of benefits that Scripture articulates for every believer, right? right? There are there are benefits yeah. that God gives us by His grace and by His goodness, and right. so I am not abrogating that. Right. But what I am um, I'm arguing against is this this concept that seems to be propagated over pulpits mm-hmm. and and anticipated in pews. Um, all right, preacher. Uh, all right, homiletician. You want me to do this? Impress me now. <laughs> yes. What is God going to do for me? What am right. I going to get out of it? Right. What we see here in Ruth is a nobility that that begs the question. Can I follow God even when there are no clearly articulated immediate benefits? Mm. Can I trust him? Right. Can I pray to him? Can I praise him? Can I worship him? Right. Can I serve him even though there is no immediate benefit that I can place my eyes on that have not come into my ears? Is God worthy beyond what I believe I can? deserve or can manipulate out of him right you know a couple of things is is that the parallel with with abraham still sticks with that as well because abraham though he has the promises he doesn't realize the promises you know 
the, this, the promise of having uh, children, I mean, let alone one child, he has to wait years and years and years and years and years, right? Until he's really old and his wife's old. Okay, they finally have, they have Ishmael. Got, well, he's not the one. And then they have Isaac. Okay, well, you have to sacrifice the son. No, oh, God, this is the one you, you promised me. The, Abraham never sees. He never, he never realizes all of the promises. He has to, in one sense, be satisfied with, with that. Be satisfied with the fact that God is going to do what he says. In fact, the, the first, the, the Torah and the, and the stories of the Torah are often the question being, Will God fulfill his answer or his question? Will he keep his promises? You know, and we see from the, the pan of scripture that he does, obviously. In the life of Abraham, though, can you imagine that the day after God made those promises? Okay, God, when is it gonna happen? No, he has to wait years and years and years. Ruth, the same thing. She doesn't know that there's promises to to be had. She has no idea. Um, she doesn't know that that her um, that the son that's born through her uh, to her will be the what grandchild or the, or the grandfather of King David. She doesn't know that, but that but that begs the question of: Do you follow God for what He can give to you in the future or now? In other words, do you enjoy the presence of God and who God is for who God is simply because He's God, not because of what He can give to you? Though He can give you much. Is your faith dependent on that? Does it depend on what God's got in for you, or is it just because you love God and and you and you want to serve Him? You know, and that's often the test of in 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 our in our in our, in our modern times. Yeah, you know, we often want to follow God with strings attached, but can we be committed to God without strings attached? Because that's the ultimate question. Now, let's get back to Ruth because uh, there's something that happens. When, when Ruth g- gathers and gleans from the fields of Boaz and, and, uh, and they stop and have lunch, okay, it's a break time. And Boaz calls her and says, come here, eat of the bread and deep, uh, dip uh, your piece of uh, bread in the vinegar. And there's a there's a phrase that that, that 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 captured my attention. It says, "So she sat beside the reapers, and he served her." Yes, that's significant. That he's serving her now. He's now given her here at the beginning of the day. She's coming hoping to find a place to find you know a couple of years of, of grain here. Now at the end, he's not only brought her in, he's serving her, and he gives her. Um, uh, more stuff, more, more, more uh, years of grain, and sends her home with so much um, that that she is now not, uh, at the beginning of the story. She's a gleaner. At the end, when she comes home to 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 mom, she's a distributor, so to speak. She she has the equivalent of about if we were to modernize it, three and one fourth gallons yes. of milk. Right. It, that that would be the size, or 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 two and one eighth soccer balls in size, which would be the equivalent of thirty to fifty pounds, which would be um, enough to feed fifty workers right. or half a month's wages. Right. So she here's the idea. When she finally comes back to Naomi, and Naomi of course reacts and says, you know, <laughs> where did you glean today? 
Um, and and where did you work? Uh, now she's probably seeing Ruth with all this stuff she's carrying. And then she says, "May who uh, may he who took notice of you be blessed." Ruth comes comes in as a gleaner and comes out with so much that she gives it to to, to Naomi. The, there's significance here because what she has gathered, she's gathered so much she's able to pass on to other other people. Boaz uh, um, uh, blesses her with so much that not only blesses Naomi or, or Ruth blesses Naomi, and maybe the neighbors down the street, you know, because you know who knows who else lived in the same area. There's a there's a there's a trickle effect, so to speak. There's a there's a the, the blessings that are often that we receive from God are often not meant for us to keep and hoard. I think it's important to make a a dot to dot connection. You just here. missed my point. Uh, no, I, no I, I love that. I didn't miss your point. I think it's a marvelous point. I said, oh, it is. It just the blessing that God gives to us aren't meant for us to hoard. They're meant for us to distribute to others. That's true. That's now you true. may go with your doxological. <laughs> no, I was. I was. <laughs> I am so messing with you right now, brother. I was going to actually enjoin your point. I'm just, I'm just giving you a hard time. What you said, I think the dots being connected is, it, Boaz says, he says, uh, may the Lord, may I am reward your work right. and bless and, and, and your wages be full from I am. Now, this is important because... In one aspect, he's suggesting that full wages are a sovereign issue. In other words, uh, you can give someone wages that you believe that they have earned, right? Right. But your wages may or may not be true to what they've really done. Mm. And your wages can only be true to the extent of your knowledge. And their motive, an individual's motive, is beyond your knowledge. So number one, it speaks to God's capacity to be sovereign over the reward. Secondarily, God's ability to speak to the full scope of the reward. Namely, what you've done, I see and I've heard the story. I've heard the historicity of it. But I cannot speak to your motive. I cannot speak to the full-orbed sacrificial nature of it. And thus, I am has to sovereignly speak thoroughly to all that you are deserving of. Now, your point is absolutely important because in I am's speaking to that, there is an eschatological anticipation. In other words... Are we able to truly receive the fullest extent of the pay here on earth? No. It goes so much beyond that. But God does give us temporal realization or manifestation uh, that, that aids us, that enables us, that blesses us here and now. And so what you see in this narrative is you see as a result of what you've done, Boaz wants to give her half a month's wages, 30 to 50 pounds, uh, an ephah, as it were, uh, in the text of of grain, barley at that time, because that's the season, right? right? Right. And and so he's going to give her that. But his statement is, in giving this to her, that certainly is not the full extent of what you deserve. That is certainly not going to answer thoroughly to all that should be given to you. Oh, and by the way, just to interject, um, that's one day she goes... That's right. She, she leaves that one day with that full uh, f- food worth for 50, 50 men. Um, she gets to go back tomorrow, tomorrow, and get some more. 
and the next day and the next day until the wheat and the, or the barley harvest and the wheat harvest is finished, which means that she may have come back with even more abundance to, to pass on to Naomi and maybe to the neighbors if they happen to want to come over and have a cookout or something like that. But what she's received, she's now able to give away. Absolutely. You know, what she's, what she has, what she's received. And this, and I know we're out of time. This, the story in, in one sense, it makes me think of, of, of the, of the gospel where, uh, on a couple of occasions where there wasn't enough food to feed people, right? And Jesus multiplies the loaves and the, fi- uh, the, the loaves and, uh, of bread and the fish, right? And remember, in in, um, um, in the one occasion where they had a they they the disciples had to distribute what they got, what God gave them, right? Here's you know, so they split up the twelve of them and they would pass out the bread and the fish. But then they gathered at the end, and there was enough baskets for all of them, right? There was yes. uh, several baskets full. And the, the, the principle there is, is similar to, to here with Ruth, is that they were meant to be distributors, but through that, they still got fulfilled. You know, there's, here's Ruth, who could have gone, who could have just, you know, decided to not share with Naomi, but she decided to share with Naomi what she had. She was satisfied. The text says that she ate and was satisfied. She was she was uh, she was full, and then she came back and and brought the leftovers to to Naomi, who then receives that and says, "May the Lord bless." Let me just read it here, right here. May He be blessed of the Lord, who is not withdrawing His kindness to the living and to the dead. In fact, he, uh, go back to the verse uh, before that. She says, "Where have you gleaned today, and where did you work?" Verse nineteen. May He who took notice of you be blessed. Well, the ble- she is now, this is interesting, it's gone circular because he's blessed her, um, Boaz is blessed with Ruth. Ruth, now Ruth has blessed Naomi, now Naomi is going back and blessing Boaz. Boaz. And oftentimes, we often don't want to give out blessing because we're thinking of ourselves. And God says, no, no, you, you, you give out that blessing, I'll, I'll make sure something comes back to you in, in some form or another. There's a... There's a principle there, because here, Ruth, at the beginning of the story, who has decided to, to, to leave her, her family out of sacrifice and devotional love to, to, her, uh, to her mother-in-law, is now repaid, as Boaz says, may the Lord reward you and pay, pay you for what you have done for your mother-in-law. I, I think it's important, John. There's there's a great deal to be said about this and text. And we're almost out of time. And, and, and we'll have to get there next week, right? Because this text is so exciting. But before we leave, I want to be certain to say to someone um, who has worked laboriously, who has done your own duty, uh, a duty that um, maybe individuals do not yet know of, that they've not yet heard of, they've not recognized. Uh, may the words of Boaz, be true in your own life. God knows what you did. Mm -hmm. Your family may have missed it. Your husband may have missed it. Your children may have missed it. Your church may have missed it. Other pastors may have missed it. Uh, In a larger social framework, society may have missed it, but God has not. And indeed, you may have less than what you really deserve. You may have um, a good amount Uh, that seems to make your work look like it's appreciated. But may I tell you, there is coming a day in which God will reward you 
And he'll reward you in such a thoroughness that it will speak to the motive of what you've done, the scope and extent of what you've done. And it will speak to God's full, thorough appreciation and recognition of what you've done. And whereas what people have given you to say thank you here and now will fade away, what God will grant you by his grace will be an eternal monument to your faithfulness forever. So, in the words of the Apostle Paul, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing this, that your work is not in vain. Now counts for eternity. Thank you again for listening to Living Truth with John Corr and C.L. Mitchell. If you would like to hear this podcast again or previous episodes, you may do so at passionforhisword.com. That's passionforhisword.com. You may also like us on Facebook at Living Truth Radio Broadcast. That's Living Truth Radio Broadcast. Again, our prayer for you is that God would sanctify you in truth, for His Word is truth. 